Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And joining me as co-host is Carrie Johnson. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Victor. And also with me today is two very special guests, Bobby Cameron, uh, Principal Analyst at Forrester, and our own George Colony, CEO of Forrester. Welcome, both of you. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. So we're at a time and place where every company needs to capitalize on business technology to fuel CX, which we know is flat, to differentiate the marketplace, differentiate on the basis of technology, and simply to drive growth. How are we doing? Well, maybe we start with clarity around what business technology is. It's the technologies that help companies win, serve, and retain customers. And so it's uh, sales, marketing, fulfillment, customer service, maybe product and service design. But it's all those customer-facing, customer-touching. And the, the, the raw answer to your question is somewhere around two-thirds, 62% of companies are barely beginning down the path. Another 25% are in intermediate stages of figuring it out. And at most, 13, the remaining 13% are hell-bent for leather, advanced, truly customer committed. So one of the questions I have is that you have CMOs buying technology. You have business people buying technology. Sometimes that's called shadow IT, and sometimes it, you know the CIO is actually doing the orchestration. So you, you have pieces of it. Is it that the technology doesn't exist, or there's a lack of orchestration, or what, what is the thing that sort of calls out that BT's not where it should be right now? Well, if it, it, it's a, an enterprise question. It's a business question, not, not a technology question. Most companies are not able to consume uh, the technology. In other words, they're focused on narrow point solutions, trying to automate a sales process. Even if they're focused on the customer, they're kind of locked in their own box. Or uh, the IT, the organization, the CIO is busy trying to rationalize uh, leftover technologies from mergers, uh, trying to uh, get rid of some of the old technologies that aren't able to support uh, the, the digital types of interfaces that are there. It's a lot of old stuff that just hasn't gotten uh, gotten moved aside. Yeah, and I'm going to place the blame here on two executives. One is the CEO, who has not come to grips yet with the power of the customer and the fact that they have to change. And the second is the CIO, who in, as Bobby's saying, in two-thirds of the cases, they are still overly focused on efficiency, cost, control, security, and they're not focused on this future dynamic around the customer. And there's actually a very simple way to figure out whether you have a CIO who gets it or not. You ask he or she one question, who is your customer? If the CIO answers, oh, my colleagues, the business, the business units, then you know you have a CIO who's in the two-thirds lagging. But if that CIO answers the question, oh, our, my customer is the ultimate customer of this company, now you have a CIO who understands the power of the customer and also the power of business technology. And is likely involved in driving business technology. So you could you could you could you can sort the goats from the sheep with just one question. So as George was talking about the CIO, he didn't elaborate nearly as fully around the CEO, but it's the CEO who's not driving that customer orientation. The CEO's product inside out kind of a view of life stymies the whole corporation, including the CIO. Yeah, and and, and by the way, it's it's very very cultural. The, the customer obsession is a, is, is about the culture of the company. By, by the way, when I say culture, I mean culture is how companies behave and what they value. 
So when, when United Airlines drags a passenger off an airplane, they're indicating this is how we're going to behave, and we're going to value our operations over our customers. The CEOs who truly understand that it's, it's time for customer obsession are the ones who can see that they need, they'll need a new CIO or they'll, they'll have to drive their CIO toward BT. It seems like one of the things you're getting at is in the current mode, technology is being used to sort of codify, formalize existing ways of doing business. So it's not allowing the company or it's not reimagining the business or the business design or the business operations. It's simply saying, we were this today and we're more efficient at it tomorrow because of technology. That's a step we're at right now. We haven't done the next big step, which is how does technology get unleashed to reinvent the company? Is that a fair statement? Fair statement, but we talk a lot about transformation, and transformation has from to built into it. And so the from place is where the CIO has been an order taker. No, so being an order taker says, I'm doing what I'm told to do. That's the CIO's historical perspective. As George pointed out, the leading CIOs are in there in a tight partnership with the rest of the business, and they're all pushing together to, to satisfy, understand and satisfy the customer. So, George, you, you brought up the question about the customer and the goats and the sheep. How many CIOs actually have access to outside customer information? Well, I, I'm going to flip your question around. Uh, we, because we have the, something called the Customer Experience Index, we know which companies are great at customer experience and which ones are bad at customer experience. And we've studied the CIOs of the tops and the bottoms. At the top, they make a concerted effort to listen, to, to listen in on calls to the, the contact centers. They actually will go out into the field, I'll talk about the CIOs here, on a, on a quarterly basis. They will go out and meet with customers. They, uh, they will bring, they have a customer council that comes in to advise them. In the bottom companies, you know, they're, they're really focused inside. They're not, they're, not, they're not looking outside. I have a feeling that exact same data would apply to the other C-level execs at those companies, don't you think, though? Um, I, I, I bet there's a high correlation between those C, the CEOs and the CIOs. Um, I actually have a, I have a, I have a very fun little experiment, but, but before I go see a CEO of a company, what I will do is I will have my assistant read the last five letters they've written for the annual report and count the number of times they have mentioned the word customer in those letters. And as it turns out, there's a pretty rough, but pretty good correlation between the mention of the word customer and where they score in the customer experience index. So this is, at the end of the day, we, we can talk about CIOs for forever, but it's all emanating from the top, goodness or badness. And I think that that's one of the characterizations of the transformation is that as you see the companies changing, it's the whole C-suite that moves. There's a, a, a fantasy that if we only fixed this group or that group in isolation, that we'll get somewhere. And, and that's actually one of the characterizations of the most advanced firms is the business is agile. The business has flexibility. The business understands the whole company, not just IT or CEO or someone else. And USAA would be an example of this, right? They're highly customer obsessed, score very high on the customer experience index. They had got rid of their internal structure around products and began, they restructured around how the customer journey, how the customer was moving through time and space, leaving the military, buying a car, buying a house, getting a mortgage. That's how they've now restructured. The USA is a great example. Core to them is they've had a single ID for the customer across all the different businesses for nearly 80 years now. And so this is not a new rationalization. They actually have understood in their, their core that the business is about the customer. Bobby, you painted a picture that said the CIOs are sort of in a service mode as a service bureau. And that's not just a process question. That's a cultural question. That's the 
that's a question of technology will be there to help as long as the business question is right and I'll service. But we're in a time and place where technology is actually affecting the design of a company. It's, it's, we're flipping it a bit as opposed to technology being at the back end of a process of a business idea. It actually might spark the business idea. How do companies make a shift like that where technology t- goes upstream in some of the thinking? Well, it's, it, it, I think we've been talking around it, so let's put a real fine point on it. If the business has built into its conversations in the C-suite, in uh, daily uh, uh, decisions around priorities and investments, in interactions with the customer, the, the, if they're addressing things like what's the customer experience right now, um, what is it that our top-performing customers need in order to perform more? How can we pull the laggard customers forward and ha- help improve their relationship with us? If those, if it's those conversations, that moves the company forward. And how you get there is the question. And and how you get there is, in fact, starting to drive, as, as George was pointing out, some of these behaviors that are cultural change uh, and, and probably core uh, to all the changes that cultural change. Remember, the age of the customer is... The power is shifting to the customer because the customer is using technology to gain the, its position in the marketplace. So it's quite obvious that experience is built from technology and the customer, the, the, the customer will be related to via technology. And this is, this is the, this is the, I mean, I'm going to make a radical statement. Maybe it's not that radical. It's the most important asset for any large corporation in the world today is the, is the, is their technology and whether or not it is truly harmonized, connecting to, resonating with the customer. That is the primary asset. And, and, and an indicator of that, is one of my favorite recent quotations is from the CEO of Kaiser Permanente, who says, if I had to do it all over again, if we were to start from scratch, I would be a technology co- company doing healthcare. So one of the phenomena happening is continuous delivery, where the technology team and the business team actually become a team. Can you just walk through how that's going? What does it look like? How did someone take that step to go from a service bureau process to much more of a collaborative sort of upstream process like that? Let me remind you that a lot of companies aren't doing it well. So let's take the leading edge and and look at how they've made it forward. Essentially, it's, it's again, a collective activity. It's not an org structure. It's a set of processes and cultural interactions. And so the choice that the business organizations, as opposed to the IT organization, have to make are to get totally involved throughout the entire process and feel and be accountable for the results from those uh, continuous delivery efforts. Same thing's true from the uh, technology people. They have to feel accountability for the business outcomes. And it's those shared accountabilities, responsibilities, and continuous change and engagement that makes the change occur. It's, it's, it's part and parcel of moving forward is to actually execute, discover what works, tune, discover what works, tune, and keep that going. I think this is a, an important point that if you look at the top scoring CXI companies and look at how they're developing their business technology, it's not being developed just by the CIO or the CMO. Rather, it's a very densely collaborative space between them. They are doing it together. In fact, I think we found, Bobby, that that CIOs and CMOs of those top companies are very close to each other in number of miles. Geographically. Geographically, 50% fewer miles between them uh, for the top versus, versus the bottom. But we don't want to think that, you know, that all this tech is going to get developed by the CIO. No, it is a, in a densely collaborative space. We observed that in many of the companies we talked with. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about on a Monday, I'm a service bureau, and then on Tuesday, I'm in continuous delivery. 
what happened Monday night? What, it's a long did, Monday night. I, it's a very long. It's, it's a long Monday night. But what did, was it? The business people said we just can't do it this way. Was it the technology people that came with ideas? Was it a combination of both? So you're asking who's the leader? Well, I'm trying to find out for people that want that, but it's not happening yet. What sparks it? The the, the realization that they're not succeeding. I mean, the, the CX index being flat is a great example. If I were one one of the companies who's at the top of the CX index scoring and I'm flat, then I would say I'm doing something wrong. I've got to change because someone's going to come chewing on my ankle and I want to be able to move. You're being unresponsive. Bobby used to do a lot of work with e-commerce organizations, and they brought tech in. They were working closely with technology because the customer outcome was fundamentally driven by technology. That seemed like such a positive at the time. Now you've got all these tech fiefdoms that seem like a negative outcome of that past trend. Well, the fiefdom is actually a, a problem, and it's unfortunately human nature, um, that we all think we're smarter than the person next to us. So the fiefdom is, is part of human nature, and what, we, what we've got to deal with is the understanding that we're going to have fiefdoms, and in fact, fiefdoms are good. And marketing people are probably not going to be the ones tuning storage area networks, and the sand tuners are probably not really interested in sales cycles. So the, the, the concept of having uh, specialties where people focus, is going to stay. What we're seeing is more and more of a matrix. And this is actually the third major matrix transformation we've seen. First was globalization. Second was move to a process model. And both of those, we, we thought, people thought that those ideas would rise to the top of the company. They didn't. They, people, people tried. Now we're doing this whole customer obsession thing, and we think, oh, we ought to all line up behind the customer. Wait a minute. I've got to have something, someone manufacturing it. I've got to have someone publishing and those people are creating value for the customer, yes, but they're, they've got a specialty. And so really what we, we've got to have happen is the whole business take on this matrix concept and work in that context to add the value to the customer. But what's, what's fundamental to this is you, you need a North Star, right, in, in, all of the, in all the fiefdoms. And that North Star, if you go to the, the high-scoring companies like USAA, that North Star is the customer. And that, keeps, that, that generally keeps them all aligned. And, and I, I've loved USA, so I've happened to know them since, since the early 80s, so I've seen a lot of their transition. And in the older days, before they really, and actually for decades, they would fight in the executive team as to whether or not the money would go to an outside-in proposition or any of the individuals who ran P&L units who would want the money. And they were legitimate fights. Go back to this human nature and, and you know, I, I want my stovepipe to succeed. That's a, that's a good conversation to have, but the the culture of the company was always the outside in, customer in. One of the words you said earlier, George, was the word harmony. And customers don't care about tribes or silos. They they will transcend them in their journeys. They will go from a physical to the digital as we, as they will. So one of the one of the arguments you can make about the CX index results being flat is there's disharmony that there's an incongruity between how the customer experiences the company in its totality and how the company actually operates itself. How much is that playing out in terms of the technology piece and creating harmony, even if it's just the, the data aiding the human beings in customer service? How much is that a thing right now? You find this in Europe extensively. The CEO will look around and say, okay, all this cool stuff's going to get done in technology. So they'll say, we're going to go out and get a CDO to do that, a chief digital officer and leaving the CIO to run the internal back office. That is a good transitionary path, right? That'll work in the short term. 
but it is a long-term disaster because remember the CIO is in possession of is, and is controlling the systems of record, which is the fundamental data about the customer. Those systems of record have got to be pushed at some point into the systems of engagement. Those are the new da- new participatory databases, anticipatory databases, which are going to, in fact, enable or yield very, you know, excellent, easy customer experience. So if a CDO is controlling one, CIO on the other side, disaster. Ultimately, this has to come back to the CIO. Um, we, we observed that, I think, over and over again in the top companies, that the CIO had been elevated the CIO had full remit of, of the technology, working very closely with business people and the CMOs. It was fundamental that there be one driver of this, one visionary of the technology for a company. And, and, and I think there's some great examples. We've been using USAA as a company who's for a long time had it in place. A, a, an example of a company who through a very short period of time has gone through a major transition and used a CDO and now in the process of transitioning out is Allied Irish Bank. So the largest bank in Ireland. In the 0809 crisis, they they uh, tumbled. The state bought them, as country bought them, and forced them to pick up a whole bunch of dead banks. And so they've had a lot of shoveling out. Brought in a new CIO in the uh, 2015 timeframe, 14, 15. He came in. There was a CDO who was in with the prior CIO, and they were trying to, to drive change. They took the new CIO and had him fix a lot of the back office stuff, uh, get rid of the duplication, create easier integration, more of a platform. But he worked very closely with the chief digital officer, the CDO, in order to make sure that as they worked together, everything that was being repaired in the back office enabled and supported the front office. And here we are now three-ish years later, and the two of them, CDO and CIO, are working to find the next model, which will be a CIO who owns it all. And so my point there is in this case, they chose, the CEO chose because of the nature of the problem to, to deal with the legacy issue aggressively at point blank while also aggressively in investing in digital. But with the, the explicit intention that there be some future state in which they work together. And where, where that's working now is, um, so another example would be TD Bank. So Jeff Henderson is a CIO there. It's a high-scoring CXI company. He has full remit. And in that case, the board has said, for fiduciary reasons, he must be the setter of technology. So these examples, let's, let's assume they, they catch fire. The spark catches a fire. We're three to five years from now. We're well outside of where we are right now. What does it look like? What does it look like in terms of the CIO's mandate? the role of technology, how te- technology is orchestrated in the company. What is, what is our thoughts about, let's say, five years from now? Well, I'll put something on the table to start the conversation, which is the end point that we see today will keep moving forward. I mean, we are not where we will be in terms of leading edge companies um, in, well, in that, that period of time. That's because the customer will change. Oh, the customer's right. changing, oh, the competitive expect- nature, the, yep. the technologies themselves are exploding. The, You're not going to fix this problem and go, hey, it's all done. That's right. It's, it's and now we can go back to whatever it was we were doing. No. That's not Not going to happen. And so in that context, if we to, to address your question, the, the mass itself will move forward. Um, but I don't believe we will see uh, the, the front end of this movement crowded. I think there's a lot of acceleration. It's a geometric acceleration. Uh, you know, for instance, we've been doing some work uh, uh, led by Brian Hopkins looking at uh, what, what he's calling innovation chain. So the 
additive nature of technologies from the physical changes moving to things like like a quantum computing to to drive incredible levels of compute power you layer on top of that various kinds of uh, of new software structures microservices serverless computing all these things and you get up to the application layer you've got a multiplier effect that just blows the top out breakthrough software types of solutions that will be the leading edge and if that's growing geometrically, then all the, the, the mass, the middle, has got to be accelerating radically just to keep up. So in that context, I don't think you'll see more than if it's 13 points now that are at the, the leading edge, maybe 25 or 30. If you're looking, though, just at the basics of companies that have transitioned to being customer obsessed, maybe not the means that you discussed, but that they are customer obsessed and on that journey, where do you see that in five years, specifically with the role of CIO? I think you're probably right that if we take the 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 uh, two thirds a quarter and whatever that is one eighth that's left, if you take that distribution, you, we will have uh, many fewer beginners. The middle will be mass, so it'll be more of a normal distribution. I think so. You'll have much more in the intermediate space. The characterization of the customer obsessed is that the whole company operates as a platform for creation, customer value creation and delivery. That is going to be exceptional forever. But, it, it, but where it is in space, it will keep moving. I think this may be a surprising answer, but if you look at the next five years and what's going to happen, and who will separate, who will not separate, I think the companies that get the back office squared away will be at a major advantage in five years. Because the systems of record, right, if, they, if, they're, if they're not in a form where they can be easily usable in the systems of, of engagement, that is going to slow companies down. And so I think there's a lot of pick and shovel work to be done in the back office to fix that, to prepare you, enable you to be able to yield the terrific BT. It seems like there's a whole story around tech debt, technology debt that's not being told right now, which is a big anchor on progress. And so your your comment, George, is that those that actually address that head on will gain steam. Well, I mean, it's a little bit varied now because RPA, RPA has showed up. Right, and RPA is a way for us to put a mask over the a lot of the back office and enable it to yield digital business without total re- repair. But I think I think of the RPA that's that's a that, that's a two to three or four year solution, not an ultimate solution. And 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 I think that though that you were on to something when you talk about the the you know the technology element here and the technical debt in that that's that's what you were describing is repairing the legacy, no longer kicking the can down the road. The the time to change has come, but I think there's another concept that's in the digital world is more significant. And and think about opportunity costs. So technical debt is I'm postponing expenditure, and there may be some net current, uh, uh, present value that increases, you know, some economic thing like that, which says at some point it's too heavy, i got to get rid of it. Opportunity costs, you never recover. And what I mean by that is if I haven't put in place my core back office systems and my uh, systems of engagement, systems of insight, systems of operation, so that I can drive, create and drive this new value, I'm losing business. I will never recover. It's not a competitive position. It's pure revenue lost because I was unable to operate in the markets that are there. And that's really what will bring people down is that inability to play. And I think your point in the Allied Irish Bank example was that you have to do them simultaneously, right? Fix back office and move forward with digital or whatever, BT, right? Um, Otherwise, this is just going to take too long. Yeah, and this is fun. That, that's exactly why the CIO has to be in charge of all of this. Right. Because the CIO has, has his or her hands on the back office and on BT. 
And there's another element to that CIO has to, which I've been sort of sitting on because I was looking for the right places, is it. The, the, one of the characterizations of customer experience that, that we've, we've been seeing actually three or four years, but it's now becoming real clear, is the customer doesn't understand all the stovepipes and the channel they differentiation. They, and they don't, they don't care. care. And, and what they want is end-to-end customer experience, spanning the enterprise, well, they want spanning the, the value stream, that you brought up. full harmonization. And, and you can't do that with a whole bunch of people individually handling the pieces on the table. Just make work. it easy. In the next five years, AI will become a thing, as opposed to sort of today's buzzword of choice, it'll actually become a thing. Or a project. To me, AI is different because whereas technology is useful in supporting or enabling business, AI becomes the business. It is it is in the decision path of how one decides to do this for a customer or do that for a customer. It, it becomes essential to the business. Does the CIO's role change in the concept of something like AI where AI is actually making decisions? Well, so the, 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 the interesting challenge we have here is that AI is nothing more than a tool. It's a very sophisticated tool. It's that gestalt that comes from all of the players playing. So one of the most dramatic things AI is doing right now is big data software robots in a supply chain rewriting the optimized routing of goods from manufacturing through uh, distribution out into the resellers, whatever that model is and rewriting it dynamically and driving 20 to 30% improvement in performance over Six six Sigma ISO 9000, the old traditional way of optimizing supply chain. Why that's significant is that requires supply chain can move dynamically. If the software robot's rewriting supply chain and and the process can't change, that doesn't do anybody any good. It's also got to see this end-to-end thing or it won't matter. So it's the whole company moves together. And yes, being a dweeb, I love the technology is in there and, and as an equal player, but so does in that in that example, supply chain. I think what's interesting about AI is that it's a tool, as Bobby was saying, but it's a tool that even the technologists may not understand it, what, it, what it is yielding. And if you remember Google, uh, you know, they were training... Uh, uh, their AI system to play Go, they would watch it play Go and they could not figure out why it was making certain moves. No human being could explain that, but at the end of the day, it won. So I, it, this is going to take a lot of trust on the part of CIOs, probably even CEOs, where the AI begins to actually come up with the menu for McDonald's and the CEO is going to say, I'm not sure that's the right food, but as it turns out, everyone loves that food. So bring back that McRib, right? <laughs> um, and and uh, George's, I think, uh, example is perfect when you start then to think about how the whole company's got to change. If those rules cannot be reproduced, which they can't be, if the engine is a, is, is a true machine learning, it's dynamically figuring out new ways to think while it's thinking. And while, if it's doing that, there's no audit trail. So the whole legal structure and accountability structure has got to shift. I mean, we're talking fundamental changes in how businesses operate. This is not so, – so I'm, I'm just reinforcing the notion that the technology is a catalyst, but, but so is the flexibility and fluidity of the business. But remember, AI is – we don't want to geek out here and say AI is going to solve all our problems because AI is simply advanced algorithms, and number one, two, with the most critical element, which is training data coming from the behavior and the movements of the customer. That's where AI is really. That's where AI is going to make a huge difference in business technology. And bad data will screw up the customer uh, experience. Exactly, it won't fix it. Yeah. So we started this discussion by looking at the current state, and in the current state, 
Bobby, 13% are in the leading edge, the way you described it. Five years from now, we pick up some gains along the way, get to 30%. What does it mean for the decision makers who are in the other 70%? What, what, what do they have to do to ensure that they don't get left behind and, and technology is the reason they did not succeed? They have to work real hard to be able to understand that the change becomes the way they win. And so if they're not good at changing, they will, in fact, fall behind. The actual actions they take fit uh, have, have to do with the fit they have in the market. Uh, not everybody's going to be a leader. A lot of people will, in fact, be fast followers or just followers. But they have to understand that even a follower has got to be moving pretty fast. Now, at the, the very leading edge, there's also a significant change that's occurring. At the very leading edge, as the geometric acceleration occurs, what you have is companies who are actually learning how to drive business success through technology. So in other words, pick up technology and drive innovation. 98% of companies today cannot do that. And so as that mass at the, the front end learns to do that, that will continue to accelerate the delta between the very leading edge and these 70% who are not quite in that category yet. So this will all be played in the battlefield of culture. Right. That's where it has to – and I know that's a disappointing answer for all the techies out there and podcast land, but it, it has to start culturally with the CEO and I think absolutely with the board. Um, there should be a techie on the board. Um, I, I, all of our clients, I advise that they do that, bring a techie under the board to be able to bring that culture into the, into the conversation. So, but I think it all starts with culture of the CEO, and that's number one. Number two, the CEO has got to look around and find that CIO who has the has the ability to have the can have the vision to see the future, to see business technology, to understand that the customer is the customer, and that's a critical critical hire for the CEO is pulling in the right CIO to do that. And by the way, what we found at the the high scoring CXI companies, they tend to be a little bit younger, they tend to have high tenure. And they tend to have very, very good collaborative capabilities with the CMO and other executives internally. Thank you both, gentlemen, for your time. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. 